you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney prior to and during questioning. If you can't afford one, the court will appoint one for you. You understand your rights? Warning. Each episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature. And are for people that are 18 years or older, heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off the Internet or from some television show. These facts I'm retelling were presented to me by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes or what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton, and I have with me by cell phone recording this, um, my co-host, Jim the Hitman Raffman. Jim? How you doing, Woody? How's everybody doing today? All right. So, y'all, we, we have been spending so much time on the road and working this and running down leads, et cetera. I'm not going to have time to edit this out. So you're getting it raw and unscripted. And apologize ahead of time if there's any kind of audio issues or whatever. But uh, we're under time constraints. And... We just need to get it out. So first of all, I want to thank everybody for the overwhelming support and the response that you've given. And of course, let me digress for a second. This week's episode is part three in who murdered Courtney Coco. So um, y'all have given us a huge response on Facebook and in the crew and, you know, the new patron members who have access vandalism tearing up who have access to the page where we put all the documents such as the autopsy and the, the lab reports and uh, crime scene photos and what else, Jim? It's a lot of stuff, right? There's tons of things. We've just been coming through as we've been getting it. Um, just a lot of information to read, digest, try to connect some dots, put some things together, um, but- coordinate some patterns. Yeah, Jim, Jim, I'm talking about what's on the, the private, um, patron page. The, we, we have the crime scene photos, the autopsy report. We have the toxicology reports, both of them. We have photographs of, uh, where Courtney's body was dumped and then recovered. Uh, important, one important piece we have on there is the search warrant. Items that were taken from Courtney Coco's residence by Alexandria PD, and that's going to come up in today's episode. Um, y'all, there's a plethora of things on there, and you know, if, if you're not a patron member, you just, it's easy to join up, and you can have access to that. And again, we have strict guidelines and rules about not sharing or commenting on that closed page because of the sensitivity of the material and I mean, you know, we've got to respect the family, family members, et cetera. And so anyway, I want to thank you all uh, for your support, whether it's the prayers or the financial support and, um, you know, go to our regular crew page, uh, real life, real for, Real life, real crime, friends, fans, and crew closed Facebook page and to see all the, all the response we're getting about Courtney and the patron members. You get your own welcome video on there. The people who've, who've sent in the donations. We, you know, we 
give you a thanks on there and we appreciate it. Jim and the, the, um, what I want to talk about today, which really y'all, we've been working on this and we have our pecking order of, of people of interest and people we want to talk to. And, and we have a volumes of information that the family has provided. They've collected over 15 years in an investigation. And, um, but today's episode is not going to be about the actual investigation that we're doing because we can't get past what was or wasn't done by law enforcement. And everything we tell you today is a fact or it's a direct quote from someone that's involved. This is not speculation, people. And, um, we're going to put it out there. Um, we're, I believe we're getting a meeting next week with Alexandra Police Department with the heads and we'll, we'll bring that to discuss that more next week. But I want to start with Jim. You read the article. Um, was it, what's the date on that? I, I know it's 2005. The article was dated 12-8 of 2005. That's when the air date was. Okay. So that's. Uh, like a year, uh, a, a year and a couple months. 14 months. Yeah, fourteen months passed when Courtney was murdered and found in Winnie, Texas. And I just want to start this out, y'all, so you you can get an idea of where I'm going, or Jim and I are going. What? Why we're doing today's episode? But go ahead, Jim, and read it. So I'm gonna read it. This is from KP. Or excuse me, KB TV4. Uh, it is titled Search for Teens Killer Back on Track After KB T4 uh, TV4 Investigation. The wheels are again rolling in the investigation behind Courtney Coco's murder. The 19 year old from Alexandria was found dead in an abandoned building in Chambers County October of last year. An investigation by KB TV4 News Thursday uncovered a breakdown in communication between the Chambers County Sheriff's Office and the Alexandria Police Department, the city where Chambers County deputies determined Courtney died. Because Chambers County deputies determined Coco died in Alexandria and her body dumped in Chambers County, they forwarded the case to Alexandria PD. Alexandria PD says they didn't realize it was their case to investigate. Therefore, the investigation was at a standstill for months. That ended Thursday when KBTV4 News started asking questions. Chambers County Sheriff Joe Larive tells Hometown News things have now been ironed out and Alexandria PD is sending an officer over within the next couple of weeks to make certain the investigation can continue smoothly. Since Courtney's body was found, there have been no arrests in the case. Okay. And um, that's it, Jim? Okay. All right. So let me tell y'all what happened. The y'all know that Jim is out of state and he's been doing all the analytical stuff. Um, the document reviews and everything that he's Jim is strong in areas that I'm weak and I think maybe vice versa, but I've been boots on the ground for the last three weeks in Alexandria and I was leaving Alexandria last Friday and uh, driving on the way home, I was trying to think, Hey, you know, what, what else can I do? And, and, and what, what is our pecking order going to be? And Jim and I agreed that we needed to go talk to Detective Rabelais, who was the lead investigator on Courtney Coco's case out of, uh, for the sheriff's office in, in Chambers County, Texas. So I called Miss Ina, Courtney's grandmother, who y'all heard on the podcast last week. And I, cause, cause they said they had a really good relationship with this detective. And I said, Miss Ina, you think you can call that detective and ask him, can I come talk to him like next Wednesday? And she said, sure, baby, sure. I'll, I'll call him. And, and so she called him and I'd gotten home and, and I, uh, Friday afternoon and I was going to lay down and take a quick nap. And Miss Ina called me back and she was extremely upset. I mean, she was very, very mad and crying. And I'm like, Miss Ina, what's wrong? 
And she said, Woody, David called me back. And that's David Ravelay, the detective. And uh, she said, I called him and he answered. And, and she said that, uh, you know, said, Hey, David said, I, we have these guys that are looking into the case now and they want to come talk to you. And he said, Miss Anna, that case is closed. And she said, closed. What do you mean closed? And he said, well, a couple of years ago, two detectives from the Rapids Parish Sheriff's Office came to my house because he was already retired, came to my house and uh, talked to me for a few minutes. And I took him and showed him the spot where uh, Courtney's body was recovered. And um, they told me that they were coming to retest Courtney's spleen section from the autopsy. And he said, okay, and didn't think too much about it. And he said, like, two weeks later, he got a phone call from them, and they said that Courtney died from an overdose, and this case is closed. And Miss Ina lost it. She said, what do you mean they told you it's closed? She, he said, they told me it's closed, that the case is closed. Courtney's death has been ruled an overdose. Now, it was Detective Isles. I don't know who the other guy was, but that's who went and met with him in Winnie, Texas, and told him they were retesting the spleen, and that's important, and we'll talk about that in a second. They were going to retest the spleen. They didn't elaborate why. And But the important part is they called him, Detective Rabelais, back approximately two weeks later and told him, the case was closed. It was an overdose. Now, I understand why Miss Ina was upset. She heard the same phone conversation between De- Detective Isles and Stephanie, the mom, that y'all all heard last week played on the episode. And the first thing he says when, she, when Stephanie asked for a status on the case is he says, oh, it's an open case and I'm working every." lead that comes in and followed up on everything. And I mean, Jim, what I mean, he's, he even said, you know, that he was going to look at uh, retesting DNA evidence. I mean, Jim, help me here. Yeah. Um, you know, when you, when you look at all this, when they're talking about retesting the spleen, I mean, I know we're going to get more into it a little bit later on, but we're talking about tissue and the perseverance of tissue. It's not the easiest thing to do over all these years. Um, I, I don't understand why they would do that when you already had an official autopsy that already came. Everything came back negative, and your first thought is to go, "Well, let's go for the let's go for another drug test and see if that tells us the information we need," as opposed to you know talking well, to people and question. Yeah, so, what what, I, what I'm talking about specifically is. Detective Isles telling retired Detective Rabelais that the case is closed. It's an overdose. Yet he told Miss Stephanie on a recorded line numerous times how he's working the case and everything. He didn't say it was closed. And why would you tell the detective the case is closed? The tech that actually worked the case that the case is closed. It's an overdose period in the story. But yet two years later, you're still telling the family that you're actively working the case. And that's, you heard it. You heard it right here on Real Life Real Crime. And that's what he told Stephanie. Go back and listen to last week's episode. And obviously, somebody's lying. And it's not Detective Rabelais. Well, it's, it's definitely not Detective Rabelais. But I think Detective Rabelais was hitting on some things that um, may have been getting a little close. And they wanted to cut off the ties. They wanted to cut off the communication. Yeah. And that's really the only thing that they're trying to do is to try to hide from the truth. Well, let me tell you what happened next. So, Miss um, Ina, the, the detective Rabelais said that I, I could call him. And so I called him and got his voicemail, and he called me back a little while later. And I told him, you know, I said, hey, the, you know, they're saying they're actively working this case. And he said, I'm telling you, they told me, the man told me it was closed. It was an overdose. And I said, okay. I said, can I come talk to you like on Wednesday? And he said, yeah. I mean, um, 
So I hung up with them and about 15 minutes later, I was back on the phone with them. This is Friday evening. And I was like, Hey, uh, can I come talk to you tomorrow? I mean, it was eating me up. I, I just couldn't wait. He said, come on. So I left at like four o'clock in the morning. I drove to Winnie, Texas and he met me and he is fine man. 30 years on the job, uh, when he retired, a uh, long, long, long time detective, old school cop, just a straight shooter. And I asked him to tell me again what happened. And he, and he stated that those detectives came over and, um, they talked to him a little bit and he showed them where Courtney's body was. And they said they were going to retest the spleen. And, um, then he called him back and said the case was closed. It's an overdose. Boom. End the story. And so I asked him, uh, you know, I said, Detective Rabelais, can you tell me, uh, I said, the family said that you said numerous times that you were pretty much just blocked in every direction by Alexandria PD. Like I said, can you tell me what happened? And he said, yeah. He said, the first thing that happened was when we found her body, he said there was a farmer driving down the road and he happened to look over and that at the time it was an abandoned place. And he looked over and saw the body and he called it in and we got there and she was in advanced decomposition. Um, he said, you know, she was swollen and, but she had a class ring on and he said, we had to cut the ring off of her finger and on the inside it said her name and, and of course the high school. And he said, so I called Alexander PD and I got detective green on the phone and, uh, I asked him, could he, try to verify uh, about Courtney Coco, et cetera. And he said, sure. And he hung up and he said, call me back within, you know, just a, like 10 minutes. And he said, yeah, that's going to be her. So evidently that's when green just called Stephanie and said, uh, basically told her that Courtney's dead in Winnie, Texas, and they're identifying her by a ring. And, um, the, he said, I immediately, asked detective green he said you will you please go get a search warrant for courtney's residence he said it's going probably high probability that the the crime had to start somewhere else because this body's been decomposed and it hadn't been here long and detective green said that he would now this is y'all when you go get a search warrant it, you have to have probable cause, et cetera. And well, I mean, this is a homicide investigation now and the, it's, it doesn't take long. It's a pretty standard deal. And you, and you type it up, you go down, you get a judge to sign it and then you go out there but before the judge even signs it. You send uh, a uniform or somebody to secure the outside of the residence, make sure nobody goes in, et cetera. And, and until you get the warrant signed, right, Jim? Even before you get, even before you get it signed, you have somebody put eyeballs on it. Right. You get uniform patrol over there, and you get them to block access to and from, rope it off, whatever the case is. Nobody gets in, nobody gets out. You have a log of anybody that shows up. Right. Period. And, the, and you get that search warrant. That's right. And, and the reason you do that, y'all, is is you have to think if this is a homicide and or it's going to end up in court one day if you, if you don't get a confession. And every second that goes by, the defense attorney can say, well, that's a second that every second that goes by that you don't have the search warrant or the 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 home secured. That's that is you can that's the defense attorney's love. Right. And Absolutely. Because they can sit there and say the crime scene's been tampered with. Absolutely. Somebody walked through it. You don't know who was in there. Well, how do you know this person was in there? So every second counts. You can't wait on this. So listen to this. Detective Rabelais says, and he, 
Detective Green told him, yes, I'll go get the search warrant. And they get off the phone and he said, Woody, he said, how long do you think it took him to get the search warrant? I said, I, I'm, I assume, it, I assume it was quick, right? An hour or so. I mean, I assume they secured the scene. He said it took three days before oh. Green went and got a search warrant. Now, I mean, I was, blown, I was blown away. I'm like, he said, don't you know that the devil and everybody else could, could have gone in and, you know, it, if me, if I'm a murderer and I know the house hasn't been secured and search warrant had been run, I might go back over there and spend the whole 72 hours cleaning the thing. I mean, it, it, scrubbing it from top to bottom. Uh, but he said, Woody, it took three days. He said, I was furious. And he said, I kept getting the runaround. And finally, they went and executed a search warrant. Uh, and so I asked him, uh, you know, what else happened? And I, I wasn't thinking about the search warrant or return or anything at this point, but I asked him what else happened. And he's, he said he felt like Detective Green gave him the runaround nonstop. He said he think he made four or five trips to Louisiana and that he just got stonewalled. He said he felt like he was lied to. He knows uh, that he said it got so bad, Jim. And I know I already told you this. He said it got so bad about his third trip up there that he was so pissed off with Detective Green that he went straight to the chief. And the chief of the Alexandria Police Department at the time was a guy named Kuti was his last name. He went in the chief's office and he shut the door and he said, Chief, he said, I don't know how you run your department. I don't know how you run your investigators, but I'm going to tell you something. This is a homicide investigation and I have been getting the runaround. I've been lied to and in Detective Green has done everything he can to hinder me in this investigation. He said, I'm going to do what I have to do if I got to go to the state police or whatever, to, you know, sheriff's office to, to get what I got to get. And he said the chief called Green in and told him, you know, you're going to cooperate with him, give him everything he needs, et cetera, et cetera. And he said after that meeting, the communication got worse. Uh, he said, Green wouldn't return his phone, stop returning his phone calls. He said, got to the point where, uh, Alexander PD's crime scene investigator started taking his calls, but he didn't really give him any answers. And then he quit taking his calls and it got so bad to the point where the Chambers County Sheriff told him and said, look, Rabelais, can't keep sending you up there. You've been up there like five times and we're paying your salary, paying the bill, except, but every time you go up there, you're not getting any information. They're absolutely, I mean, you're telling me they, they're not cooperating. They're giving you the runaround. They won't produce any of the witnesses that you want to talk to, et cetera. And I mean, he said, you have other cases. I mean, if they won't help us, there's nothing that we can do. And so he, he was real. Really, still pissed about it even after all these years. You know, I think Detective Radley did a great job, especially with the information that he had and or the lack thereof. I mean, he really created a lot of opportunities. It just he didn't get any cooperation. And, you know, the the difference with homicide investigations, and, and you know, with in comparison to other ones, is that a homicide investigation you're going to go wherever the case takes you. So if it takes you coast to coast, you're going coast to coast because it's a homicide. Homicides, you've got to solve the thing, and you can't have so much pride or whatever the case is that you're not willing to have help from others. I mean, you have a seasoned investigator, homicide investigator from Texas who's actively working this, and he can't even get a return phone call. I mean, that's just absolutely terrible. You know, why would you not want to have the experience, have the additional help, the eyes on all the paperwork, the brain process, the thought process involved in everything? Why would you not want to have that kind of help? Um, you know, the strength can be in numbers, especially when it's taking this long and you're talking about crossing state lines. Right, right. But listen, okay. And, and I don't want to go too far and to 
our investigation that we've done yet, Jim, but I've got to tell this next piece. It's important. The, there is a person of interest. We'll, we'll call her that, that, uh, every time Rabelais went over to Alexander, he had a list of people he wanted to talk to and got the runaround. The detective never could find him, whatever, whatever he said. But at, after, I think after the chief's meeting, he finally produced one of the people who was at the domino party at Courtney's house. And it was a female and, um, the, he interviewed her. And what she said was they were at, at the domino party, several of them, and they left, uh, or whatever time to go pick up this girl's boyfriend, they being her and Courtney Coco. She said that they rode around and smoked weed and drank a bunch of, uh, beer. And the, the Texas Rabelais said he, he set her up. And he was like, okay, so I mean, did Courtney smoke just a little bit of weed or, uh, was it a lot of weed? And the girl was like, no, no, she smoked a bunch of weed, a whole bunch of weed. He's like, you talking about like a couple of hits off a joint? She said, no, she smoked like a joint and a half herself. Now, that's a lot of weed, y'all, especially for a 110-pound girl. And he said that they, the girl, the this person of interest said that her and Courtney then went to McDonald's or Sonic, where this person of interest, well, Jim, what, what do we want to call this girl so, so we can quit saying person of interest? Uh, 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 I, I could pull up a little, uh, we have our own little communication. Um I'll just keep calling a person of interest for now. Hold on. All right. So this person of interest, they go pick up her boyfriend from McDonald's or Sonic. Rabelais said he couldn't remember which one. And then she said that they went back to the house and played dominoes for a little while later. And then she left. Right. Um, and that's it. So he said, Rabelais said when the autopsy report came back, and it had no marijuana in Courtney's system and a very trace amount of alcohol, uh, which is important. We'll get to that in a second. That he knew that girl was lying. He said it, he felt like she was lying to begin with. And this is the only person that Green produced for him for Rabelais to interview. And she said he, at the end of that interview, the girl just sat down and was crying. She, she quit talking to him. So now, he knew she was lying. She knew that Courtney had smoked a bunch of weed right before her death and, and drank a bunch of alcohol, et cetera. So he called Green back and said, Hey, we need to get this girl again. She's lying and we need to break her on it because she damn well knows what happened. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jeff. You know something. Yeah. Well, the, so he said the green kept saying that he never could find her, et cetera. And then finally he, um, green told him that, um, he did talk to her and she's not changing her story. And that's it. He said, what else? Just furious. He said, I, I knew I wanted to interview her because I knew, you know, I could, I could break her down because I had already started to break her down in the first interview. Now, the why am I telling you this? Uh, I asked Rabelais had he ever seen the phone records that this person of interest made calls at four o'clock in the morning from Courtney's phone. Now, Courtney's uh last activity on the phone was earlier than that night. And I mean, way earlier, like midnight or, or before in, in that time frame. At, all of a sudden at four o'clock in the morning, there's three phone calls to three different numbers. And why do you call somebody at four o'clock in the morning like that? One of them, uh, I think two of them, she must have got a voicemail because it showed just one minute on the cell phone bill. Right. And the other one, they right. called for like three minutes, Jim, something like that. Correct. It goes one minute, three minutes, one minute, one minute. Okay. So it's four calls at four o'clock in the morning. And do you, do you want me to give you the times or no? 
Yeah, you can. Yeah. So at 4.06 a.m., there was a call for one minute. At 4.15 a.m., there was a call for three minutes. At 4.19 a.m., there was a call for one minute. And then at 4.30, there was a call for one minute. Okay. So here's the deal. The This person of interest, this girl that Rabelais wants to interview the second time because he knew she was lying about the marijuana in Courtney's system, is on Courtney's phone. Now, how do we know that? Because Courtney's family met with Green and turned in her phone to them, and they had already pulled up all the phone records. And when they got to the point where about the four phone calls at four o'clock in the morning, Green says, and I read this day before yesterday out of the family's notes from the meeting, Green says, immediately says, oh, no, that's nothing. That was this person of interest dialing wrong phone numbers. Okay. And the family, you know, they're not thinking from an investigative standpoint, right? I mean, but the me, why, and this is speculation, but why, first of all, why do you have the victim's cell phone at 4 o'clock in the morning if you left her and, and you're not with her? And secondly, I mean, I don't know. It just it blows my mind. The, why, why, the, the, why do you have her cell phone and at four o'clock in the morning making phone calls, rapid fire phone calls and what it, I mean, it just, it just blows my mind. But here's the deal. I told Rabelais about it because he's hit started talking about the girl, the person of interest. And I said, you know, she's the one that made the phone calls at, at four o'clock in the morning. He said, what phone calls? I said, you don't know about the phone calls. Hold on. Sorry, y'all. The, um, I said, you don't know about the phone calls. He said, hell no, I didn't know about them. I said, well, the person of interest made four phone calls from Courtney's phone at four o'clock in the morning. He said, damn, don't you know that it, don't you think that would have been important for green to tell me about? And I said, well, I guess so. And I said, cause it was green is the one that told him that, that, that it was the person of interest who made those phone calls and they were wrong numbers. Even though we know she, the, the connection was made for at least three minutes on one of them. And he was livid. Uh, uh, you know, but it gets worse. And I mean, he was like, I don't understand. I just, I knew he was blocking me. About that. I mean, he was, he was mad. And I mean, this guy put his heart and soul in this case. And, I, and it dawned on me. I said, uh, and y'all, we talked for a long time, Detective Ravelay and I did. And it came to me. I said, look, I said, did y'all ever develop DNA profiles off the stuff that they took out of Courtney's residence from the search warrant. He said, what stuff? I said, all the items that they took on the search warrant. I said, the beer cans, the Dr. Pepper cans, the cigarette butts and whatever. He said, Detective Green told me they didn't get anything off the search warrant. I said, what do you mean? He said, they told me Detective Green told me that all the search warrant produced was like one article of clothing they took and there was nothing to be tested off yet. And I said, whoa, Jack. I said, hold on. And I pulled up the list. Jim, do you have that list? That I pulled up I pulled up the list of items that were listed as being taken from from the search warrant. This list was given to the family by Alexander's Police Department. From Detective Gray. Now, you have Rabelais, who requested the search warrant. It took him three days to get a search warrant. And then when he asked him, what did you find on the search warrant? What do you have? What what do we have that we can test, et cetera? Detective Green tells him, we don't have anything. We didn't take anything from the residence. He said, maybe one, one item of clothing. Uh, but there's nothing to be DNA tested. In actuality, in actuality, this is what they took. Go ahead, Jim. So I have the list, okay? Uh, dated, you want me to get the date? Yeah. All right. Yeah. October 7th of 2014. 
before. That's the day of the search warrant. Remember, it's three days after the fact before they finally got this warrant. So, uh, items taken. One blue dress, one gray dress, one pair of blue jeans with blue and white cloth belt, one pair of blue jeans with red belt, one bed sheet, one security box, one knife, one cell phone, one black wallet, one set of dominoes, three beer cans, two paper bags, one cup, one cigarette box, five Dr. Pepper cans, 18 cigarette butts. And that's where it ends. And that's what Alexandria Police Department took into evidence from... That's the official log. That's the official log of the items that they took in evidence. Y'all, when you do a search warrant... You apply it to the court for the search warrant. The judge signs it. Whatever you seize from the residence or the car, whatever it is that you're searching, whatever you seize, you have to do a search warrant return, or it's supposed to be done, and you have to turn that back in. And that lists the items and uh, yeah, that were taken. Detective Green told Detective Rabelais they didn't take anything, but maybe um, – an item of clothing and, but none, they didn't take any, not only did that not take anything, but there was nothing to be DNA tested. Now, I mean, I know you lifers out there watch all the crime shows, et cetera, but I mean, I don't know how many cigarette butts, Jim. 18. And Dr. Pepper cans. Uh, there were five Dr. Pepper cans. Beer cans. Three beer cans. Dominoes, y'all. Not the, the dominoes. Then the, not only did they take the dominoes, and what they didn't list on evidently on that list is what the family told me. They even had the domino scorecards with the people's name on it that were there. But they, he lied to him. He lied to Detective Rabelais and told him. They didn't have anything. They didn't get anything off the search warrant. Now, this is not speculation, people. This is a fact. And and Detective Rabelais said I could quote him on that, okay? And so I'm quoting it on him. That Detective Green said, no, they didn't get anything off of it, maybe a, uh, uh, an article of clothing, certainly nothing that could be DNA tested. They didn't take anything else. Well, I don't know. I don't know what you say about that. I can tell you one thing. Detective Rabelais was livid. And, you know, so you have not only does he not know about the phone calls that the person of interest he wants to go back because he knew she was lying about the night Courtney died, uh, about what Courtney had been doing. You have he requested the search warrant. It took him three days to get it. Then. After you execute the search warrant and the family said that the crime scene tape was up for like 18 days afterwards. But after you, ex- after you execute the search warrant and you, you, I mean, you seize all these items from the house, you lie to the lead detective when, I mean, he, cause I asked him, I said, Did y'all get the DNA off of all that stuff. And he said, what stuff? They didn't get any stuff and you just heard it. Right here on Real Life, Real Crime. And so, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, it's something that doesn't look good for somebody. It doesn't look good at all. And I don't know why you would want to go to that extent to not share information. You know, when you, you, you execute a search warrant like what he said. You, you execute it, but you only, have a specif- you only have a short amount of time to do with that return of search warrant, which goes back to the judge. That validates your search warrant. That's like the proof that this happened and what you were saying was true. Um, and so when you give that list, that's an official document. That's an official document of what was taken from that residence. Why you would not want to share that with the lead investigators, especially one of Detective Rabelais, who has an incredible background, by the way, um, you know, just a seasoned investigator. Why you wouldn't share that blows my mind. Yeah. So we're not going to speculate why. Um, I will tell you this, the, um, I mean, we're supposed to have a meeting. I'm supposed to have a meeting next week with, uh, um, some officials and, and I'm, I'm going to just 
be straight up with them with Alexander PD and say, Hey, this is, you know, y'all probably don't know about this. Wasn't your case, et cetera. But, you know, Courtney's anniversary, her murder anniversary is coming up in like a week and a half, something like that. And, um, they, they're having a victim's march, uh, next week in Alexandria on Wednesday. And I mean, I, maybe I, I, I'd like to believe that I know there are so many more good cops than bad. Um, and by going in and, and giving these higher ups a, a heads up on exactly what we're going to do. Cause if we don't get satisfaction, we're going to take it to the media and we're going to blow it up and we're going to take it to the media in Alexandria and we're going to take it to the media in Beaumont and Houston area. And if you look on it, Jim, on the bottom of that, um, article, there's a, there's a list of all the other news articles that, that have been done about that. And it, it, this case got pretty extensive coverage as it should. I mean, a beautiful young girl. Let me tell you this. Detective Ravley also, I mean, the streets talk. He said he was telling me some different things that he had investigated. Like somebody said that she was at a festival over there and he disproved that. And of course, you always want to start with the family members and, um, you know, and we'll get more into that next week. It's the same, it's same track that Jim and I are going to take uh, in excluding people. And, and before we talk to uh, some people of interest, but the the man did his job and and he worked it, but he was handcuffed, literally handcuffed and shackled, in my opinion, and by what what's happening here. Now you go back to I, I know now I know why Detective Isles went to retest. What he's, he told Rabelais it was the spleen, but if you heard on the first episode when Jim and I were talking to Stephanie, she said he told her it was vials of blood and he even gave the different tops, colors on, on the vials, et cetera. And, but I mean, whatever. So he told Rabelais it was the spleen. He told the family it was the blood, but I know now, Jim and I know now, now know why they went to retest the blood that that many years later. So, and we'll get into that next week. If some, it's some information that a person who came forward and, and pretty much told that she said, Hey, this is exactly what happened to Courtney when, where, why, and how. And so that's the reason they went back and tested the blood. And we'll get into that next week. Um, but I just wanted to y'all to know, the facts and, and the, and like I said, this, these are facts that, that the Rapids Parish Sheriff's Office went to visit Detective Rabelais and then told him they were retesting the, uh, the spleen and then called him back a couple of weeks later and said, case is closed. It's an overdose. The case is closed. But you heard last week. Detective Isles saying the case is open, um, working it and et cetera, following all the leads and everything else. I don't get that. But the, um, secondly, what we want you to hear and it's important. There's been a history in this case, as Jim read to you from that news article, uh, Alexander PD, 14 months later is saying, Oh, we didn't even know we're supposed to be working this case. Well, come on, man. You know, I mean, um, history in this case of this kind of stuff going on. I mean, and then Detective Rabelais not knowing about his person of interest having Courtney's phone at four o'clock in the morning and making what, I mean, you call somebody at four o'clock in the morning. It's not for a booty call. I mean, that's a little late. I mean, it, to me, that's a panic. I'm serious. I mean, it, why would you call somebody uh, multiple numbers at four o'clock in the morning? And, and don't you, that's right. And, and don't you think it would be important for law enforcement to go talk to these people that this person of interest called, especially the one that she got through to? And so, uh, and like Rabelais said, I, I could, I could have done this. 
if I'd have had that information, I could have done this. And then, you know, it just popped in my head, ask them about the search warrant. Did they ever get any DNA profiles off all the items taken from the party? Detective Green said, Detective Green said, they didn't get anything. That's what he told him. And in his official capacity, told the lead homicide investigator for Chambers County Sheriff's Office, we don't have anything. We didn't take anything. Wait, 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 wait. What's worse is the, the, what's worse is, I mean, is he, he didn't, he didn't even say they took those items. He told well, Rabelais, we didn't get shit. We didn't, we one article of clothing and it, and it can't be DNA tested. I mean, it's your search warrant, detective, and you did the search warrant return and these items are listed. Guess what? Chambers County Sheriff's Office can't do their job. They can't send it to the, to, to the crime lab, all the items to be tested, if they don't have the items. Boom. I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I don't know what the hell to say, y'all. And, and, uh, I mean, it seems like the more we try to get into the investigation itself, the more this stuff comes up. But we're, we're going to, without saying who it is or whatever, we're supposed to be having a meeting with the top dogs and, and, uh, get to at least give them a shot to, to try to make something right, uh, before we take this, this information to the media and blow it up. Um, because we're going to, we're not going away. We're going to work this case. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, I agree. And, just, you know, Woody, you know, you and I have worked a lot of cases over the years and things that we've done. And, you know, when you just listen to the constant problems that came about this and the lack of communication and, and investigating, it just makes your blood boil. Because I will tell you that the majority of the law enforcement community out there are hardworking good people that do their jobs because they love their jobs. They love what they're doing. And occasionally you come across some of those that just. There's good and bad in every profession. Good and bad in everything. Yeah, it wouldn't make it matter if it's a hamburger cook at McDonald's or a, a, a neurosurgeon or a police officer. But, and I know, I know, hell, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not bashing law enforcement, but you, I'm going Hey, but when you you have straight from the horse's mouth that they lied to me, and then or and they also that they called me back and told me it was an overdose. That's the end of the case. Case closed. All these different things. Hey, you know what? Somebody's gonna have to answer for it because this family has been suffering bad. Fifteen years. Fifteen years. And you know what? The the response we've gotten on the crew page um, with all the people that knew Courtney. And what hit me really hard the other night, I was reading, um, two of our friends were talking and one of them said, I can't believe it's been 15 years. And, and you know what? He said, we've got to grow up. We got to, to live our lives. And, and poor Courtney is still stuck at 19 years old. I mean, yep. damn it, man. The, the, um, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to tell you this. I'm not getting off this case. Jim's not getting off this case. I pulled, I, I just got back from Alexandria again. Um, and when in the, like, it was like 10 or 11 o'clock at night, I'm pulling over on the side of the road because of the new information we got and then scanning documents and sending it to Jim before I lost cell service. I mean, the, we're working as people and it's not going to go away. And I, I don't care. I don't, you know, the, I don't care what kind of blowback or pushback we, we get. We're not saying anything that's not true. It would be different if we were sitting, sitting here trying to hang out, you know, law enforcement or whatever. We're not doing that. We're simply stating things that are so just mind boggling that, 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 that facts. Yeah. But they're so mind boggling to me. I just can't get past it. Well, 
So hopefully the, the, the meeting with the officials next week, they hopefully they'll, I, I feel quite certain that the, these are good guys and that they're, they're going to demand some kind of answers. And if, if, if it does nothing else, but move Courtney's case forward, right? The, the um, Rabelais did tell me he, that the blood uh, that was inside the vehicle, Courtney's vehicle, et cetera. He said he wasn't even sure if they ever got a DNA profile off of that, um, that they found it using luminol, but they did get some cigarette butts uh, out of the car and they got a DNA profile off of that. And we'll go into that, that later on. That's case stuff, and people they interviewed, et cetera. But y'all, it's just a lot to it. And just, I mean, I feel so passionate about it and, and uh, spending time with the family members and Jim talked to them also. And spending this time and listening to the pain, and they they bring forth so much information. I'm talking about binders and binders. They have everything, every thought, everything, every law enforcement officer ever told. It's amazing. And and you know what? Woody and I work great together because where Woody is extremely strong, he obviously goes out and gets that done. And where I'm extremely strong is going over all that paperwork and connecting dots and trying to find the missing links and where, you know, we need to go look at next. That's something that I'm very strong at. So we kind of balance off very well. But I'm going to tell you, hundreds upon hundreds of documents to go over. Um, I mean, that may even be a thousand pages in that binder. Uh, You know, it is just the family has done a tremendous job. And then the information we've been able to collect since then, is amazing. Um, you know, I, I, we're, gonna, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep working. I'm going to keep combing through all these documents and, you know, giving the information that I'm finding and sending it over to Woody and letting Woody do what Woody does best. Because I'm going to tell you, I don't think there's anybody better out there that can do what he does. Um, you know, and well, uh, we're not going to stop. Nobody you know, nobody analyzes like you do either, brother, but I appreciate it. But here's the deal. Well, we opened up the hotline this week and it's on the webpage. Y'all, I don't have it in front of me. The, uh, call in your tips, your information. Um, somebody out there knows something and the, we already, we have some really good stuff already, but we're, we're investigating. Um, but, it's 15 years. People are older. People have family members of their own. But if you have guilty knowledge, ever you think or you heard something, whatever, the streets talk, whatever, call it in, be anonymous. But I'm going to tell you this. We're working on the reward thing. And I'm, I'm a, we probably are going to release that on the anniversary of, of Courtney's body being found, her murder anniversary, which is about a week and a half. And we're going to put up our own money and it's going to be significant And whoever calls in with the information that leads to the arrest and conviction, they're going to get it. But y'all call us, call that hotline number. You can remain anonymous. I, if you want to talk to me or Jim and, and remain anonymous off the record and tell us what you might've heard or whatever, I'm not, I'm not going to burn you. I mean, just not going to do it, but I'm going to tell you something that whoever did this, the person or the people who did this, we're coming for you and we're not going to stop. So oh, yeah. you should be scared. Very, very scared. And if you're smart, you go turn yourself in now and try to explain it away as an accident or something like that. Cause we're coming for you, baby. You better believe it. If you, I'm going to give the phone number and information. Go ahead. That's all right. Yeah. Uh, if you, if you want to talk, uh, if you want to call or remain anonymous, that's fine. That phone number is 225-395-1302. Or you can even email us. You can email Woody at realliferealcrime.com or you can email me, Jim, at realliferealcrime.com. Right. Appreciate all the help and support, all the wonderful encouragement that we receive from people, the, the crew members, the lifers. Uh, you know, just keep it going. Let's just keep this going. Yeah. Somebody yeah. out there knows something. That's Let's right. Let's just keep it going because we're not going to stop. And I know you guys won't stop either. That's so right. thank you. That's right. And I got goosebumps. You know, we had over
shares of one of uh, the posts the other day about Courtney to to people that hadn't, you know, people just sharing because they want to help. And y'all are awesome. That's how we're going to do this. And we're not going to stop. We're not going to stop. You, you better turn yourself in. You better come up with a story because we're coming for you. So, the, um, anyway, that's hopefully next week we'll be getting into um, our pecking order of, of what we're going to do. Right, Jim? I know I'm fired up, dude. I got goosebumps, man. I mean, I'm, I'm so sick about this. If you had to sit with this beautiful family who love her so much, and I finally got to meet uh, Sissy this week, who was the, the the cousin that they were baptized on the same day, graduated the same day, and uh, I'd met all the aunts and you know, of course, the mom and the grandmother. And Sissy, boy, she's a, she's a real firecracker. I mean, that that family has some mad love. And guess what? They're fired up, and they're not going away either. So, but anyway, y'all, we appreciate you. Um, love each and every one of you. And y'all, please continue to like and share our page. If you can become a patron member, it would be huge. The uh, patron members can't thank you enough. The, the the support you know, goes a long ways to helping with some of the costs, at least on this investigation. Um, but yeah, leave us a review on, on iTunes, um, subscribe, all that other stuff, all the other podcasts you listen to tell you to do because <laughs> I forget, <clears throat> but sorry about the editing and everything else, but you know, it is what it is and we love y'all and thanks a lot. And that's it. Right, Jim? That's it. Unedited, raw, unscripted, and I don't even know how the hell we're finding time to make the recording, but it's important uh, that we do so y'all can continue to be fired up with us and press this issue forward. So, And we're going to get justice for Courtney. We're going to find out who murdered Courtney Coco. And we appreciate y'all. And until next week or ever, don't let us catch you down on murder by you. Peace. The investigation into the high school massacre is high school massacre. At least 14 dead, 50 injured. 13 people were killed today in a mass shooting that includes a suspected gunman. Coming soon, Active Shooter, a podcast that studies the psychology, motives, and methods behind some of the most notorious active shooters in North America and beyond. We will discuss the whys, the hows, and most importantly, the proposed solutions. Can the proper mix of mental health services and gun access put a stop to what has now become an accepted everyday occurrence? Have we become desensitized and accepting of this new phenomenon? Join us as we break down each case and discuss the failures that led to each event and how we can identify and stop them in the future. Join us soon, and please subscribe to Active Shooter. to remain silent anything you say can and will be against you in a court of law you have a right to an attorney prior to and during questioning if you can't afford one the court will point one for you you understand your rights 